Well, in reality, if you can say that, like, my friend who's in this position said this, yeah, people will believe you. That's true. Also, that's how many times have we said, like, just blatantly or just wholeheartedly believe things that we're told by people we trust for no reason, with no backing at all? Yeah. I mean, that's what... I was going to sit normally in the first thing I did. <laughs> that's what the foundation of this podcast is, right? Yeah. That you, you know, believe... You shouldn't believe everything you're told. Mm. Like, did, there is a toilet paper shortage. Yeah, there is literally a toilet paper shortage. Have you been to the store? No. And seen how ridiculous it is? Man, sanitary items, anything like in the sanitary aisle, like soaps and everything, um, and then anything in the like toilet paper, paper towel, any of that? Yeah. All gone. Yeah. All gone, completely washed out. And there's like signs all around the Woolies at Kellyville talking about how like apologize, we apologise for, for the, the supply shortage. We're trying to rectify this issue. Um, it was an unseen, unforeseen circumstance. Yeah, so weird. Well, I can't believe how insane people are going. I can't either. I forgot to put a charger on this laptop, so I'm going to do that quickly while you talk about this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe so I've seen people either. I think everyone in the area really panicked all of a sudden when news came out that there was a reported case in a hospital in Ryde. So we're currently in the Hawkesbury, but sort of not too far away through the Hills District, through Castle Hill, Borkham Hills, um, over towards sort of city direction. There's a suburb Ryde, and in Ryde Hospital. They had a reported case of coronavirus, and I think as soon as that hit the news, everyone started going nuts about how close it was, and bada-bing, bada-boom. Everyone's going through and buying everything so that they can prep and shut their doors and stay at home until um, half the population is dead, which is what the coronavirus is going to do. <laughs> <laughs> do you think half the population will die? So Frank was saying before that the death rate's like 0.7%. Yeah, and the recovery rate, like people who had it and are now like cured of it, is like not cured of it. Like they got over it themselves. They got over it themselves. Are now zero cure. Yeah, cure. are now like is like forty five percent. Like it's huge. That's still pretty low. Yeah, but people they're not dead. They yeah, just true. haven't recovered from it yet. Yeah, I know. Like I'm still recovering from, you know, Bichitis. The last time I did CrossFit. Last time I did CrossFit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, did um, did JP tell you about his genre for our podcast? No. Firstly, that's kind of the point of the podcast, JP, but also fuck you. He put he came in and he was like, oh, I was listening to your podcast. And he goes, now this is going to sound bad. And you know when someone opens up with this is going to sound bad, yeah. it's going to be mean. He was like, I've got a new genre for your podcast. It's kind of just when, like, I don't want to learn anything I want a familiar voice and I just want to listen to some mindless chatter about stuff. And yep. I was like, that's pretty much what the podcast is, mate. Like, that's the idea of uneducated opinions. And he's like, because sometimes you guys say stuff yeah. and I'm sitting there going, that's not right at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's the idea. Like, he messaged me after that podcast where you tried to get me to explain an electrocardiograph <laughs> like the waves and apparently I called it an AMG graph Yeah. when it's an ECG graph but apparently I called it an AMG graph I don't believe him I think I might have said AMG but anyway so yeah we, if you like are taking anything we say as gospel don't you are an idiot <laughs> oh those poor people anyway Look, if you were prepping for coronavirus, mm. what would you stock up on? If we were going to give advice to people on mm. what is actually important to stock up on. I would say toilet paper isn't that important no. unless you think you're going to run out of water, like running water. Mm. Because, guys, you can wash your butts. Mm. You do not have to wipe that much. Mm. Install a bidet. Yes, a bidet would be a good idea. Mm. Mm. Bidet to you, sir. But <laughs> fuck. Um, hmm, what would I say? I would say like just 
like hand sanitizers, probably a good one. Yeah. Like soaps, that sort of thing. But I really don't understand the toilet paper stock up. Like I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I saw a funny post. I think did you send it to me? Um, I'm sure. It was like, hey guys, I've got news for you. Like if you really wanted to try and stop the outbreak of coronavirus, maybe don't take all the sanitary, like general hygiene things away from half the population and not allow them to use it because that's going to really help the spread of the virus. Have like, you have you seen on Facebook a marketplace like people selling toilet paper yeah. for like 20 bucks? Yeah. Or like, a, you know, is it a case of toilet paper? A, a box of toilet paper for like $300? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. There was one that um, Jay Morosi put in a group chat that I'm in and he was, it was like a... Facebook Marketplace one or maybe an eBay one and it was like um, one roll, one 24-pack of quilt and toilet paper um, willing to trade for apartment, um, <laughs> minimum two-bedroom and maximum five-minute walk from the beach. No silly offers, please. <laughs> and he's like, no silly offers um, and then in brackets, garages or studios. Um, I'm, You know, I have really bad FOMO for group chats. Do you? Yeah. So when I hear that someone's in a group chat that I'm not in, I'm like, oh, mm. why am I not in that one? Because you didn't come out to the city that one time that you were invited. Oh, that's the group chat. Hey, mm. whatever happened to my jacket? Did Jamie ever say anything? Know. He never said anything. Oh. Mm. He's it's probably like, wearing it right now. It's probably like stuck to his car. Mm. I can't believe how much that fell apart. Yeah. That is, do you have a video of that? No. No? Uh, I have a video on my phone. Yeah. Um, and he sat on his old leather jacket at the pub and obviously didn't move for what, like an hour maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe longer. Like an hour and a half, two hours. And then when he got up, it was all stuck together and falling apart. Yeah, so um, weird. So the heat coming out of Andy's ass literally destroyed this leather jacket. Mm. Disgusting. And you weren't even drinking. No. Mm. Why aren't you drinking at the moment? Because I'm sober. Forever. Mm. No, not forever. It's really hard. I, I didn't drink at the wedding on the weekend. Oof. That's rough. And I stayed up until like, you know, like, until we went to the after party as well. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> no, completely sober. Nothing. I was a good boy. There you go. Mm. And Kush mm. is like, oh, just have a beer. Because she was getting like antsy like about me not drinking. I'm like, no, it's all right. Like, I'm having fun. Mm. But really, I wasn't. I was, you know, like, this yeah. sucks. Isn't it funny how, like, I don't know whether if you actually do struggle with it, but I really struggle to enjoy myself if I'm out with a group of people that are all drinking and I'm trying not to drink. No, I'm fine as long as I have something in my hand. Yeah. So, like, if I'm having, like, a Coke or, mm. you know, whatever, because I don't drink that stuff normally. Mm. But the thing that gets me is when people get so drunk that they get, like, gross. Mm. And then... I am, like, my, like, ugh. Sober sensibilities are, like, yes. ugh. Like, once people start, like, throwing up and, like, there was this girl that was just, like, legless and then, you know, like, walking around. Was it Kush? No. No, <laughs> Kush was good. Kush drank, Kush drank so much now. Yeah. Canada has... Built her tolerance. Yeah. Like, mm. just the other, like, the other night we were at home having dinner mm. and she had two beers and a scotch. But that was just, like, a weeknight. She's now an alcoholic, <laughs> eh? <laughs> has she got roommates where she is? Uh, yeah. She, yeah. She's living with housemates? Yeah. She has one housemate. One housemate. So they probably just drink all the time. Yeah. Mm. And I think they go out and they're in the city, so they live the city life. Yeah. She's basically a yuppie. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to this group chat thing. I get serious FOMO when I'm not in group chats. Do you feel the same way? Yes, I do get serious FOMO. There's a couple of group chats that... You, you know about that you're not in? That I know about, um... Because they're an iMessage group chat. Yeah. And I have a Samsung. <laughs> <laughs> I have genuinely considered changing back to iPhone purely so I can be in these group chats. Because, and because like, I will see like four of my mates all at a pub session. Yeah. And I'll be like, uh. And then three hours into the pub session, I'll get a message and it'll be like, hey, Steve, we're at the pub. And I'll be like, cool, where was my invite fucking three hours ago? And they're like, we forgot you're not in the group chat. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, bastards. It happens too often. 
Uh, but it's almost a good thing at the moment trying not to drink. So you're also trying not to drink. Why are mm. you not trying to drink? Um, why was I initially trying not to drink? I just scattered a couple of comps in a row because oh. I want to... I really do believe that I'm a much better athlete when I... I'm sober. I'm sober for a while. So I was like 14, 15... No, I was like 15 weeks out from down under. And then I had that weightlifting comp a bit after. And then I had like, I have another comp like maybe four weeks after that. And then another one, two weeks after that. And then down under. And I was like, I've got this big scattering. If I can just keep looking forward to the next comp and be like, oh, I can't drink because I've got that next comp. It just might be an easy way for me to not drink maybe all the way up to down under. Yeah. Um, it means I need to get past my birthday without drinking, but which is hard. But yeah. um at the same time, it's not like it's a big birthday. It's not like I'm having a party. Um, so I might just have... I won't even call it a birthday thing. Is that like your 40th? Like, should yeah. you be celebrating? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, that's the only good thing about maybe getting a little bit older, like hitting... If you're hitting 30, 40, is it's an excuse to have a big party again. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yes. 30 is a big party. 30 is a sad... There was a... I feel like I shouldn't talk about this. But there was a poor girl on at the wedding that turned 30 mm. and a drunk person turning 30 who's female, like, it's a hard thing to watch. <laughs> they do not take it well. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't, I, obviously I'm still 15 years away from turning 30, but um, like I can't see at this point that it's going to be that much of an issue for me. Yeah. Like, I, just the idea of getting older doesn't really bother me, but maybe that's because I'm still only 22. So No, it's the like, idea of me getting older doesn't bother me as well. And that's something that is... Like, Kush and I were talking about this the other day, is that people... Like, we're so conditioned to things, like conditioned mm. to get married, conditioned to have kids, conditioned mm. to, you know, sit and stand when, you know, the priest tells you to, or kneel. Or suck. Like, you know, <laughs> like, I was trying to decide how I was going to work in and then I was like, I'll let him do it. <laughs> but, you know, like, like we're conditioned to do so many things, but we're also conditioned to think about like getting older as, as a bad, bad thing. thing. Yeah. When it's not, like it gives you so many more opportunities. Yes, you might have more responsibilities, but it's your choice to, Take to have on. those. Mm. Or like, you know, when you people could just say... just bludge on the doll. That's it. Or like, you know, when people say like they... They feel old or like their body hurts and whatnot. Like that's you losing options to move. Yeah. Like if you keep doing what you're doing, like you can move well and feel good in your body for like a a long long time. time. Yeah. Do you think that, do you think that part of, because we've spoken about this before, I think. I do believe that women also should stay in the kitchen (laughs) if that's what you're getting at. No. Do you. So you hold a lot of, we've spoken about this before, you hold a few opinions that maybe would be considered away uneducated. from... Uneducated? Uneducated, but away from the norm opinion, like you're probably an outlier in a lot of your opinions, whether it be related to education system like we spoke about last week or um, we spoke about what other ones that we talked about in the past where we brought it up. I can't remember. There was a Women's couple of, rights. Women's rights, yeah. You're definitely away from the norm there. Um, because I'm for it? Yeah. <laughs> But there's a few where generally you sort of push onto that outlier. Yeah. Um, do you sometimes think, do you, do you ever think that maybe some of those opinions you hold, you hold them because they're the outlier and you want to be the outlier? Like I'm Opinion. some sort of strange rebel that just... Wants- a little bit, yeah. Like that's kind of what, like, so if we take, um, I guess, like you don't really have much interest in getting married, do you? No. No. So getting married isn't really a big thing for you that would be considered away from the norm. And it's not because you have any issue, like knowing you, it's not because you have any issue with having a commitment to someone. I think it's just, is it not just the institution of marriage that you just find a bit silly? Yes. Yes. So do you think that maybe those sorts of opinions have something to do with you just being a little bit... Of a dick. (laughs) ...rebellious away from the norm rather than necessarily... And maybe you've found valid reasons to throw into that want to be rebellious yeah or do you think the valid reasons that you hailed first then led to that maybe rebellious outlook even though it's 
Like, which do you think came first? Was it the chicken or the egg? Yeah. I don't know. I guess with, with a lot of things, I guess my hatred, not hatred, I don't hate married people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my um, disdain. Disdain for marriage. Oh, actually, it's not that. One is actually like, it's a considerable expense to marry someone. Mm. Yes, um, this is. Yeah, so yeah. like as someone who is cheap by nature. Yeah. Uh, or not cheap, but like I'd rather spend my money on other things. As would I. I yeah. think as actually would most modern men. Mm. But um, And I'm just lucky that my partner also shares this. Yes. Yep. Mutual affection for money. That, you know, mm. like she'd rather put money away and save it rather than... Spend it on... Spend it. Mm. And I, you know, I talked to my dad recently and he was like, hey, you know, Kush is coming down. Maybe this is a good time for you guys to talk about like the future and like maybe this is like a special time for you to, you know, do something... And I was like, are you asking me to, you know, propose to Kush? Yeah. Because she's here for two weeks. And he's like, you know. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, like, she's here for two weeks. Surely we should, you know, plan out our future. Like, I'm, you know, maybe her being here for two weeks, we should talk about whether, what the future holds in terms of like, is she going to stay in Canada? Mm. Am I going to stay here? Like, I don't think that's a quick... Fi- I think marriage is a quick fix for a lot of people. Mm. A band-aid. Mm. To, um, for bigger issues? Yeah, for bigger issues. And I said... Like Why having we- a kid? Yeah, like having a kid. Yeah. Um, and I said to him, I was like, shouldn't we work on that? He's like, I guess so. And I'm like, are you worried that I'm not committed to her? Because, you know, like, you've been married for like 30 years. I've been together with Kush for 10 years. Mm. Like, I think I'm doing pretty good. Mm. Uh yeah, we're a third of the way to you. Mm. And we're probably going to live longer than you too. Corona's going to get you. Because <laughs> you're old. Because <laughs> you're old. <laughs> no one mm. under 30 is dying from coronavirus. Yeah. So there's a good <laughs> argument against marriage, but that's not really answering my question as no, to no, whether no. if you think that... Did you come up with those arguments because you wanted to rebel against the norm or... Did those arguments just lead to that kind of... No, I always... When growing up, I always thought I'd get married, have kids. Okay, yeah. Um, So it wasn't something that you've had from, like, teenage years and you're like, fuck the system. No, 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 no. No. But I was also, like, you know, raised to be, like, pretty heavily Catholic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I was an altar boy. Mm. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my... Like, I think a lot of that marriage stuff also came from when I started, like, Mm. distancing myself from the church. Yeah, okay. So it's like, it's the institutions I distance myself from. Mm, mm. Mm. And that's my trouble. Well, that's, that's, that's the other thing is like, I guess that's why I asked is you've got, maybe it could be perceived that way from like an exterior yeah. outlook because it is generally the away from the norm thing. But I also, knowing you do know that most of your ideas, if not all of them, apart from maybe your opinion on transgenders in sport, um, <laughs> is like a very well thought out idea like it's not something that you just decided on on the spot and stuck to it and stuck to it like you do have very well thought out ideas and I like even personally like I hold very similar ideas to you especially in regards to like finances around marriage marriage and that sort of thing like the amount of money that you'd spend saving and then spending on a wedding when that could be making 10% for you in an investment account like as instead of spending 30 grand on a wedding, um, does seem silly to me. But um, whether if that's a compromise that you have to make, depending on who yeah. you're with. Or. And, and so that's the other thing. Like going to this, this wedding we went on to, to on the weekend was probably one of the nicest weddings I've been to. Mm. It was really simple and it was more so about the party and celebration, which I love. Like the that's ceremony. Yeah. The ceremony was like 10 minutes. And mm. then like straight after the ceremony, they were like, hey guys, the reception's in an hour and a half, but we also have beers here. So have some beers, chill out, chat, and then yeah. we'll go to the reception, uh, mm. which was down the road. Uh, and it was, it was beautiful. And that's, that was something that I really liked. You know, like, I do like dressing up. Yeah. I do like partying. Yeah, so, yeah. like, I'm all for that. Mm. It's, just so, it's just something that I'm not interested in right now. Yeah. A close friend of mine, I won't give his name because it's a personal story, but... Um, was never ever going to get married. Yeah. And then 
they basically decided they changed they, the laws and then he was able yeah to. he was able to yeah no they decided that they would get married but basically on the premise that it was like the only excuse or opportunity he was going to get to like get all of his friends where he knows all his friends will actually show up and just have a big party so he just went down to his dad's farm they had like a five ten minute ceremony itself just saying vows and I pronounce your husband and wife, and yeah. that was about it. And then just free beers and drinking for six hours with friends. Yeah, like, and that's cool. Which See, is I awesome. Have, I have no problem with, like, you vowing to someone and then, mm. like, that's a cool, like, I'm all about contracts. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, like... But you don't hold them for you. Oh, actually, you do hold them for you, Jim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but I do... It's just when other parties get involved. I don't think the government should really be involved in... Mm. In in the holding of these contracts, I understand why they are like. Yes, they but, have to be. Uh, like it's just it just seems like a lot, mm. a lot of red tape to mm. control your life. Yeah, yeah, I see that, but I also see the need for it. The need for it, where there needs to be a mediator if it goes wrong. Yeah, and that unfortunately is generally going to be the government. Otherwise, well, see the thing is, you can't get divorced if you don't get married. Yes, but you pretty much have to get divorced even if you don't get married. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah now you do if you live together. You de facto. Yeah. yeah, even if you're not de facto, even if you're not. Well, sorry, even if you're not listed as de facto, mm. you're still de facto. Like yeah. after whatever the time period is, like I've got I've got multiple friends that are absolutely screwed if yeah. they break up with their missus. Really? Mm. Or I've even got female friends that are absolutely screwed if they break up with their boyfriend. Like. Um, because he can take them for cash for sure. Well, that's my hope is that the only thing that's holding Kush from moving on mm. is that you'll take her money. I'll take her money. Mm. Smart. It's always good to have a. Because I was threatened her. I was like, you know, if we break up, you can have half the gym, and she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can have half uh, the van. <laughs> yeah, she'll have to buy you out of the gym. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get 20 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) $2. $2. Speaking of gym, I feel like we should do some critiquing. Yeah, what are we going to call this segment? Hmm. Do you have a name for it already? No. No? Hmm. Technique something? We'll call it... Steven Technique Reviews. Okay. <laughs> Who do we want to start with? So, Mike, I apologize in advance. We are going to look at yours today. I guess um, Mike is first because he's already up. Uh, we did... You did ask me not to, but um, we're going to anyway. Okay. So, this is from one of your online athletes. Yes. His name is Mike Abel. Yep. He's doing some snatches today. We've been very slowly working him from uh, the high hang. Not position one, down. (laughs) Alright, so we're just watching this. So if you're listening... If you're listening and not watching. You can't see what's happening. But basically, he's starting off in a high hang position. So knees bent. uh, The bar is a little bit lower than sitting in the hip crease for him. And then he's travelling down to the knee before he jumps back up and Mm -hmm. snatches again. This is the wrong one. This is the next one. Sorry. What have I done? What is happening, Steve? Andy, you've stuffed it. Not that one. Oh, well. This is what we're doing now. There we go. All right. Alrighty. All right. So, what are your thoughts from the start? I actually like it. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I would love for him to be able to pull narrower. Yeah. Um, but just not anthro issues, but um, surgical issues. He's got pins in his ankle. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're ever going to be able to get him to pull narrower. And he's a tall guy. He's very tall. So he's, he'd be, what, six foot three? I'd say. But anyway, technically, especially from where it started, I think it's a very good snatch. I think he's moving down to a great hang position. So I think his knee position's really good now. 
I actually think he's really balanced. Yes. Which yeah. is a very important thing for me. And it looks like his rhythm is quite good. Uh, I'd like to see... His hips travel forward a bit earlier? Yeah. 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 Um, so the only thing... And this is... So I'm not giving my critique on this video via email because he's going to watch this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and I've told him this is where he can come for his critique this week. <laughs> so, Mike, what I would say to you is your movement down to the hang is great. Your position's awesome this week. Okay. But the only thing that I think me and Andy would probably agree on is what you're doing is your hips are staying sat back when you initiate the pull. So your hips are staying behind you, okay? And you're just starting to lift the shoulders rather than thinking about maybe initiating the movement with a forward drive of the hips. Yeah, like w what we want is to see you kind of like jump, but what's happening is like you're coming up to like the end of a deadlift and yep. then going under, right? Yes, yeah. So you see how you're in this position... Hang, high hang position. <laughs> high hang, yeah. So you're in a high hang position here. This is where we want you to finish before you extend. Yes. And he's not getting there. He's actually meeting the bar with flat, like, I mean, yep. completely straight legs. Yeah. So that's why, um, I guess, Mike, what we've been getting you to do, and before this, I didn't send any of the video, but before this, you were doing some pauses on the way up at an empty bar. So he was going f too high hang, Hinge, I didn't send you the video. Oh, okay. Hinging down. Look at this one. Hinging down. Ooh, this was a terrible one. Yes, it was. Hinging down. Sorry, Mike. To um, the hang, coming back to the high hang, and then extending. That's sort of without the pause. What we're trying to get you to do in that last video is pull back, push those hips forward so that you've got that slight knee bend at the top, and then jump and extend rather than what you're doing is just kind of. Um, throwing the shoulders back and yeah. throwing the shoulders back and not really getting back to that high hang position. Yeah. I'm actually really impressed with his bottom position in these. In these, yeah, his yeah. bottom position is a lot better. You've gotten so much better, Mike, since when I like knew. You. Um, but yeah, this is the reason. See how far the bar is away from you. That's why you're jumping forward in these as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. So from how? Okay, let's let Andy do something here. From hip contact on his squat snatches here. Yeah. Um, so he's going from position one on this. Yeah, so this was before we moved down to the hang. Yeah. On this, what would you say he needs to change to make sure that he's getting rid of that jump forward? How does he keep the bar closer? Uh, he just needs to extend through his knees a little bit more. Yeah. Like, I just don't think he's extending tall enough. He's just shooting his hips forward into the bar. So would you say maybe... Mike, have you thought a little bit more about jumping rather yeah. than trying to get the power from your hips? Try and think more about getting the power from a jump upwards. Cool. Now, secondarily, where is he training at home? Yes, he has been training at the gym, um, but I think he's struggling to get in there early enough to fit this in before normal classes because uh, um, we're only doing a two-day-a-week like program yeah. for him. Um, trying to improve his snatch. So this is like week 13 or something um, where we did sort of like two weeks of just assessing from the ground to see where he was at. And then um, now we've spent like 12 weeks doing from the high hang and we've just two weeks ago moved down to the hang. Huh. Um, but that being said, only half that time is spent on snatch because the other half is spent on clean and jerk. And I took your advice. We've moved him to three straight snatch sessions yeah, and then three straight clean and jerk sessions. And then on a week where his snatches look like they've been making really good progress, I may have adjusted the program from three to give him four or five snatch sessions in a row because when it's looking good, I want to keep running that it, wave. Running it. Yeah, yeah, ride the wave of looking good. Cool. But, um, yeah. My last, uh, you know, comments would be... It's hard to see with the TV screen, guys. The lighting's not the best. Yeah. My like where he's training, obviously has very good weather. Um, potentially wear a face mask, mm, yeah, because coronavirus is an airborne disease. Mm. I actually don't know if it's an airborne disease. Neither do I. But he's um <laughs> he's in Western Australia, so all the way over there, like there's that much desert between here and there. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll well, be fine, the, yeah. you know, you don't want to inhale any dust. There's a cactus next to him. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Those are those are my thoughts. Anyway. Nice, nice snatches, Mike. 
Uh, we just I've need got, to get you not jumping forward. I've got one athlete. So this is one of my online athletes. Her name is Caitlin. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to be on this either. Because she doesn't like me? No, no, no. Because she didn't want to get critiqued. <laughs> but I thought you would enjoy this video. This is actually a fail. So you can see that she's sort of falling forwards a little bit. She Apparently there's a pole behind her, so she's a bit worried about hitting that. That's why she's so close to the racks. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so for those who did not see that, guys, um, what has happened is she's just gone for her snatch Missed it because she was squatting in front of a set of squat racks. As it's fallen forward, it has landed on the racks perfectly. So really all she's done is actually pick the bar up and put it on the racks. Um, yeah. There's a few things I would say. Yeah, I mean, like, be, be real too. But I also thought it was just a funny video. Um, being real, I find it really hard... So if you go to, so don't worry about her high hang, but watch yep. her when she goes to the hang. I find it really hard to stop people from doing that little rebend, like they're trying to give themselves a run up. So you see, she drops through her shoulder, she drops through her shoulders and tries to give herself a run up, yep. rather than actually just moving straight into extension. Yes. I find it really hard to get rid of that in people. Do you have a way that you get rid of that? I, I think blocks are a really good way of doing that. But then I feel like they're still just going to load through the shoulder girdle. Yeah. But yes, I do agree. Blocks are a way of stopping them from being able to move the bar for it. It, 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 it is a discipline thing too. Like mm. you just have to get them not doing it lightweight and to trust. It's, it's really hard sometimes for newer lifters to trust their technique. Yes. They want to just muscle things up, especially if they're strong. Like, Caitlin is really strong. Um, and, you know, like, she's done a lot of work to get her snatch to where it is now. Mm. It was nowhere near this in the past. Um, so she's not, she's by no means an advanced athlete. Mm. She's come a long way. But, yeah, for sure, like, that, that, that little cheetah start, it's like how hard it is to get someone to stop bouncing sometimes. Is there any reason why she couldn't pull with narrower feet? Yeah, so that's something that she's been... She used to snatch with really wide feet. Yeah, okay. And we've sort of moved away from that. I, only because I think if she had narrower feet, she might be able to get her shoulders over the bar a bit more at the hang without being quite so... Without having to compromise back position. I very much agree. So... I her setup position at the floor is pretty good, though. Mm, still a bit wide. Shins forward, knees just over the front of the bar. Good fail. It's such a good fail, isn't it? Guys, I, it's, if you like lifting fail videos, I suggest getting up them. and watching this one. Like, just get on the YouTube and watch this briefly. Um, and I think you have one more uh, like technique video for us. This one, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to make this big. I guess you do that. Left. <laughs> oh guys if you can come and watch this on YouTube please do because it is hilarious it is a guy trying to do a single leg box jump onto a weighted single leg box jump might I add onto plates which are stacked on top of a bench and he catches his toe and it could not and possibly worse. have gone worse like He's kind of saved it, like clipped his toe and then put his hand down. But then the plates were going with him and he went over and then all the plates fell off. And I think he face planted. It was honestly such a good video. Okay, so first off, um, me and Steve do laugh at think, like people's misfortune. Like the guy is apparently okay. Um, look at this comment. Yard sale. If you're here to look at this guy's pride, you're too late. It's already gone. Um, I guess, you know, we're laughing at this guy's misfortune, but he posted it, so I think he's okay with that. Yeah, I don't care. Um, laughing misfortune anyway. Like, 
We've also, I, I can't stress enough how poor of a setup that is to begin with for a jump. How, how so? Like plates on top of a bench. The amount of plates that he's got just... Stacked up. Stacked up. The fact that he's got two 10s and two 15s below 320s. Like, if anything goes, they're all going to go. Yeah. The way that that's stacked. That's true. The bench is narrower than the plates. So, so they're not any, stable. So they're not stable at all. The plates <laughs> themselves... Aren't, the plates themselves aren't even stacked straight. Yeah. Like, he's in a gym. Surely there's a plyo box there. Yeah. Well, there's a tyre right next to it. He'd actually be safer to just stack one bench on top of another bench. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be just as stable. Hey, Steve, you, where's your um, box jump fail? Go to my Instagram. <laughs> is it high or is it hard to find? No, no, it's, it's high. Oh, no, we don't have internet here. Oh, damn. <laughs> I just loaded this before. We'll, we'll do a technique review of Steve's yeah. box jump fail next week. Okay, but let's, let's you know, go through the technique. So his first mistake... Uh, I would say was obviously the way he's plated this up. Mm. The second mistake, I would say, is not lifting his feet up. A single arm, a single arm jump is very hard. Single arm. And, so a single leg jump is really hard. And what people don't realize is the how much your arms actually help you propel your entire body up. And he's taken that away with the kind with of. the plate. He's still able to throw the hands at the plate, mm, but not well. I'd say he's, looks like he's actually got quite a powerful jump because that's not, that's not a low jump to be attempting. Single leg. No, single I couldn't leg. do this. Could you do this? No, no. I can't say. I can barely single leg jump to a 20-inch box. It's so funny. Mm. It's the reaction that gets me. Like, look, he's like, oh, shit, ah! <laughs> and then the flailing. And then the, you know, he's obviously in so much pain afterwards. Oh, God. It didn't... It, I think it looks worse than it is. Nope, I think it's pretty bad. He definitely wins himself. He's so winded. I need to see the way that he lands. I'm pretty sure he's broken his ribs. <laughs> nah. You know, when, you know when people fall and kind of hurt themselves, but it's more their pride that they've hurt? Yep. I feel like it's one of those. But, yeah. Anyway, that's... that's uh, Technique Steve's, review. Steve's technique reviews. Um, thank for you for week. watching that segment. Next week, we'll try and... Um, next week, watch again because we'll try and get my video up mm. of my box jump fail, which is also a reasonable one where I thought I was going to tear a hammy. <laughs> Speaking of hamstrings, mm. um, I heard that if you stretch your hamstrings, mm. you will stay uninjured for life. Well, after you're 23, you're... What is it? Like 24. 24, you're like, what, 70%? More likely. To tear yeah, your hamstring? Pretty much over the age of 24, your injury risk is like significantly higher. But they talk about, like we found that to be a risk factor, right? But we don't know the mechanism behind that, like the reason why that is. Like there's not just some sort of biological switch that happens at 24. That's just... Hamstrings. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. A, on a scatter plot like that's just where majority of the injuries seem to take place is above the age of 24. But that, like, there's a whole bunch of things that could play into that. Like young people, just more pliability at end range. Like it could be anything. Mm. So what you're saying is flexibility of the hamstring is really important for injury prevention? I think it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, There's. I messaged Andy yesterday and he was rather unimpressed with it, but there was. I was just saying that there may actually be more research to show that people with greater levels of hamstring flexibility are even more prone to, injury, to hamstring strain injuries. Um, but... That being said, there is also a lot of research that says the opposite. So there's there's research in contrast to each other. Um, I don't think there's enough solid research either way to show any one is more true than the other. Um, but I was just more pointing out to you, like saying, hey, this is something that is a commonly held belief, I think, in strength circles, is that having flexible hamstrings helps to resist injury. Um, but maybe we're not completely confident on that based on research. 
Yeah, so I, like anecdotally, I actually think your strength at end range is more important. More important? Than... 1,000%. So we know that if you look at the, um, like the peak torque curve, um, which is like the... Uh, it's like an AMG graph. Yeah, AMG graph. <laughs> like the length to peak torque gro- um, graph, we can see that if someone's peak torque levels are further along towards a longer hamstring, um, that's where their peak torque happens. We know they are generally at less risk of an injury than someone who is whose peak torque happens at a shorter hamstring length. Um, so, yeah, that's... Right. So there's just that we can do exercise to try and move someone. A good exercise to try and reduce injury risk is to try and move people further to longer on that peak torque graph. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense. So the gist of what we're saying is like stretching is dumb and you're better off strength training to end ranges. Yes. So increasing your range of motion through loaded exercise. Yes. Is more important than mm. uh, all the dumb stuff you do. Yes. If you are doing a bunch of yoga. Mm. Interestingly, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> we're gonna, this, I'd say this will be our last topic. Yeah. Um, if you were trying to train someone yeah. to mitigate their risk of hamstring strain injury, mm. let's say someone who competes in a running base, or let's even not even say running base sport, let's just say they're a sprinter. Yeah. Um, what would your program sort of look like? What sort of things would you be wanting to focus on? Um, contraction type, like velocities, that sort of thing. Like what would, you, what would your general focus be if you were trying to mitigate the risk of injury in the hamstring? Uh, I would give them lots of 1RM hamstring curls. Mm-hmm. Um, so just seeing like what the maximum weight they could do is mm. uh, to like further than their end range. <laughs> so like seeing if their knee can hyperextend. Yeah. Strong, yeah. Strongly. Strongly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Without the ACL going. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. the important part. But actually, you know, really if your hamstrings are stronger, you don't need an ACL. So no. like just let it go. Well, we know that to be fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what would you? What would I focus on? Mm. I would focus on, so like at the start of the site, let's say they're, Three months out of no, four months out of a from a race, mm-hmm. uh, a sprint. We know that like they need to be uh, strong enough to adhere to their training regimen, which mm-hmm. is sport specific. Um, like closer into the competition, mm-hmm. and they actually do need a certain level of hamstring stiffness when they're sprinting because, like. Uh, like during the sprint phase, like they can't, they, we don't want them all gangly and loose because yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of the research shows that hamstring stiffness actually helps during the sprint too. Yeah. So further out, be very similar to how you program for anyone, like a lot of end range work, so like RDLs um, and preparing their hamstring in different positions. So both you know, plantar flexed or dorsiflexed because that changes how the hamstring works mm-hmm. um, and a lot of general strength, uh, bilateral work. Mm-hmm. And then as we get closer, I would move to more unilateral work. So like the second four weeks. So bilateral is both legs yeah, and so like unilateral a lot of, is one leg. It's a lot of squats and stuff in the first, you know, four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Then we'll move to more unilateral unilateral work. So things like uh, single leg RDLs or mm. lunges and stuff like that mm. as they A increase. single leg power clean to box step up? Yeah, we'll do those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have used that as a video. Oh, I should have, yeah. Yeah, we'll use that next week. Yeah. That actually in... Uh, I won't talk shit about anything. Wait, what was that? Was that in your university notes yeah. or something? Yeah. Oh, that was an exercise an someone exercise actually wants you to do? they actually use. Huh. Yeah, in some rugby clubs, some rugby league clubs. Why? I don't know. It seems over the top to me. I understand kind of what they're trying to do, but why? Yeah. Like, it's, it just seems to me like it's a, 
largely like the risk to benefit ratio seems low. Yeah, okay. And then in the High. final and in the final like let's say four weeks or so, we'd work more on uh combining the two qualities together. Mm. So making us move those weights bilaterally faster, mm. adding in, you know, a lot more things that are more explosive. Mm-hmm. And then with the unilateral work, making it more specific to what they're actually going to have to do. Mm. Does that kind of... Yeah. Can you explain to me the difference between dynamic and ballistic movements? So a dynamic movement is like a, a swing. It can be passive. Yeah. Like me doing this is dynamic. Yeah. But I think a ballistic is like... More like that, right? Like there's the... SSC stretch shortening cycle as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So SS, so I I generally think of it like ballistic is ballistic not more like a repetitive motion. So like a um, like a banded hamstring curl. Yeah. Um, a banded hamstring curl like that would be dynamic. Yeah. But like that would, would be, be ballistic. ballistic. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think you're right. I think it's the probably the utilization of stretch shortening would probably be it. I should look it up because I actually, like I feel like I can look at a movement and go, that's ballistic. Yeah. Or, and we should say all ballistic movements are dynamic, but not all dynamic movements are ballistic. So anything that's sort of moving is dynamic, right? Like it's, if, you're, if you're moving, it's dynamic. If you're still, it's static. Yeah. Um, and then ballistic is probably like a sub-branch, right? Anyway, my reason for asking you about the hamstring stuff is... This helps me. Oh, when would you put ISOs in? That's a good question. I'm going <laughs> to... Um, one of... This is a good way for me to reiterate things that I've recently look, read and looked yeah. over is to explain it to someone else. So Did a you lot, disagree with what I said? No, no, uh, no. I, I agree with it. You looked at it at a um, much more holistic approach than what I'm about to... Oh, okay. What I'm about to give. Yeah, I know you asked me specifically about the hamstrings, but I was like, but then what would I do with the other yeah. stuff? <laughs> um, so we know that s- some of the best um, indicators for hamstring injury is actually... So I should say that the most common injury is biceps femoris, the long head. Yeah. Um, and in running-based sports, it generally happens during terminal swing. So we can buy looking at terminal swing, we can say it's probably generally an inability for the mechanics of the hamstring to resist the force that the quadricep has put through the knee in slowing down the shank. Yeah, so when you're moving through terminal swing and the angle is changing at the knee, the angular velocity is happening too fast and with too much force for biceps femoris long head to slow that down. Um, So that's when we get a tear, right? Um, so for people that are listening that have no idea what you're saying, is yeah. basically like when you run, your legs swing around yeah. and your knees bend yeah. and you're talking yeah. about like as you as you make ground contact, that kickoff point mm. is when people no. uh, tear? No, no. So as you are extending out towards ground contact with your front foot, yeah, yeah, your hamstring then needs to slow down just before foot contact, slow okay. down the shank, and that tends to be when it snaps. So, so right, bef- right before you... So there's large contact. force at yeah. end range of motion of the hamstring, yeah. So it would be pretty much just on ground contact is okay. a good, probably a good way of saying it. Um, but we know that one of the big risk indicators is people that are A, weak in that long range, but also their individual fascicle length of yeah. the what about muscle their, itself. Their tendency to overstride. Well that's part of part of what goes into it, but techni- we're eliminating technique as a factor in oh. what I'm talking about. Okay. So we're looking for <laughs> long fascicles yeah. that are strong at end range of motion. So the research would show What's that What's a fascicle? A fascicle oh, uh, so, uh, well, you can't use big words okay, sorry. on the uh, Uneducated so, Opinions podcast. And- so the fascicle is the individual, I guess, like string that makes up the muscle. Yeah, so each muscle has lines of almost string through the belly, um, which makes up the 
contractile elements, but makes up the things that make your muscles work. Um, and that's where all that hangs in that piece of string. And what's an actin? Okay, we're done. No. <laughs> 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 um, that longer fascicle helps to reduce the injury risk. So training when trying to mitigate hamstring risk needs to be directed at lengthening those fascicles and yeah. having them be strong at that end range. And we know that from research, the best way to lengthen um, them is intense, so high intensity, um, preferably super maximal, so pretty much beyond what you're actually capable of doing, so going until failure. Um, and this is where the Nordic got so popular. This yeah. is why it got so popular. Um, and eccentrically. Yeah. Eccentrically. Um, so we know that eccentric movement at a super maximal intensity can increase fascicle length and also move that torque curve to a longer period. Um, but what we can see, and this is where uh, some of the research gets a bit squirrely, is that concentric work actually when using a Nordic, so the research was done with a Nordic, can actually act to sh actively shorten the fascicle length, which we know, despite it being stronger, okay, you're actually moving the curve the wrong way. Um, so you're actually making it stronger towards a shorter length. And also you're shortening the overall fascicles themselves, um, which moves you to a different point on that sort of graph where people are more injury prone. So as far as running injury and hamstring mitigation, hamstring injury risk mitigation, you really kind of want to be focusing on almost purely eccentric movements or because people would argue that you need to have concentric in there, um, you would be looking at very eccentrically biased movement to ensure that. But something that was really interesting, and this is something I'm trying to get my head around, and I'm actually sending some emails to some people today about it, is that the detraining period for that increased fascicle length is super quick and super, super, like, um, advanced. So we're talking like a 15% increase in fascicle length after an eight-week Nordic training program will make it you awesome as far as um, injury mitigation goes, but within two weeks, people are back to baseline. Wow. Like, so what I'm trying to get my head around, and this is something that I've struggled with from a programming perspective in the past, is when people are in pre-season and you can afford to do all this eccentric loading in the gym, when they get back into high-speed running in training... You don't want to move too far away from it. You don't want to move too far away from it because there's that detraining period, but how much of it can you afford to leave in when they're doing 30 kilometers of high-speed meters a week? Yes. Without then the overload being an issue for hamstring strain injuries. What do they say about like the isometric work? I haven't like, done much about ISOs yet, but... Because my, in terms of... My understanding would be that ISOs at end range would probably be great. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, so isometrics at end range would probably be great. So like a stiff-legged deadlift. Just a hold. Yeah, so just a hold at the base of a stiff-legged deadlift would probably be great. Um, or a hold, an assisted hold at the bottom of a Nordic or just below end range of a GHR, for example. Yeah. Um, because that would reduce the, the load. Because what happens when you do a lot of eccentric work is there's a lot of... Um, there has to be a lot of repair. Yes, you need the, time. You need time and recovery. Yeah. Whereas with the isometric, you don't necessarily need that. Mm. I wish I had this graph for you, and I might actually, if you're interested, I'll send it to you. I'm interested. But there was another PhD which was done, and it showed... That stands for pretty huge. Yeah, pretty huge deal. Um, <laughs> um, he looked at the difference between high volume and low volume. So they both did a two weeks base where they did 46 Nordic curls a week. So it was four sets of, no, it's 48, so four sets of 12. 
Nordic curls a week. Oh, and if you don't know what a Nordic curl is, it's when you're like kneeling down, you might have someone holding your feet and then mm. you lower yourself down and then lift yourself back up yep. just through uh, knee, knee extension yeah. and flexion. Yeah. That being said, the whole idea of super maximal is that you would be lowering yourself to a point where you are no longer able to hold yourself and then you would need assistance to get yeah. back up. So like you might push up a little bit into it, use a band yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the high volume, low volume thing that they looked at was that base 48 a week for two weeks and then one group dropped to eight, eight, only eight reps a week, only eight reps a week and the other group increased from the 46 to 60 to 80 to 100 a week over an eight-week period. And the fascicle lengths stayed the same in both groups. So despite the fact that that other group started doing more than 10 times the amount of volume in a week, because the intensity was the same, the intensity of the movement was the same, the fascicle length stayed the same, and the detraining period was the same. So it could be said that after a base period, all you really need to be doing is eight super maximal reps a week and you'll maintain that length. So maybe that's what you can do. You can do in pre-season, build up, 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 and then just drop it off to a low level of maintenance and it will hold. That being said, I don't think there's been a study that's gone long enough in that regard where maybe, okay, maybe it was able to hold that for six weeks after the base training period. But if we just continued to do eight a week for an entire 25 week season, would they still be the same at the end of the 25 weeks? Yeah. Which is a good question. But the main differences that they found was not in volume, it was in intensity. So some people were doing it um, super maximally and others were doing it sub maximally where they were able to lower themselves up down and get themselves back up on their own without any sort of assistance and without failure point, And that was not showing as good a result as actually performing super maximally. So it came down a lot to ensuring that the intensity was super high rather than worrying so much about the volume and the contraction mode, which is obviously eccentrics, is the key there. I think isometric, I'm not 100% sure where the research is at with it just yet, but I think isometrics at end range would probably be great at like we said like i said shifting that curve yeah towards a longer yeah which would be great right um that being said just because there's a detraining period for the actual length of the each ham each fascicle in the hamstring each piece of string just because there's a detraining period for that doesn't necessarily mean that the strength adaptations are lost that quickly so there's a big thing in the lecture that i was listening to that was like the fascicle length changes do not necessarily indicate it's not mutu- it's not the same as the strength adaptations. So they can be mutually exclusive. They don't have to be the same sort of thing. So maybe you're still shifting that curve down a little bit, but the actual length is lower. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, that makes yeah. me that makes me think about how I would how I would change that. Do you want to pause it quickly and start it again? Yeah, sure. That way we don't keep going. Yeah. So, because that changes, that changes the way I would program that. Because I often wonder about like athletes in in season and preseason. Because a big, like, just to move away from the hamstrings mm. and just to be more, like you said, holistic. Um, our problem is people detraining during season. Yes. So how can we maintain? How work? can you maintain that? And it's so hard because they have, like, let's say you have an athlete that. It's like they're, they're, they're like semi-professional like Shani's what you'd consider semi-professional like mm. he's in a league that demands quite a lot they have like two training sessions a week plus a game so mm. that's three days a week already that like you wouldn't have him so we have to go down to if he was doing three sessions before he'd do two sessions mm. um, and you have to think about like how you what you'd put in there mm. for his training like how do we get the most bang for our buck mm. And usually you'd be like, okay, we've got to do like some big compound movements and and actually keep him in mm. the gym for the, for that that period of time. Mm. So here's my question for you: Do you, you so Shannon plays ice hockey? Yeah. For you, I'm wondering: Do you sit back, have a look at ice hockey as a sport, 
and go, okay, what are the, what's the most common ice hockey injury yeah. as well, which I would say is probably something, things around the groin and the hip would be ice hockey. Um, probably adductor issues. Um, do you look... I think they surprisingly don't have that many adductor issues. Don't they? No, yeah. I know most of their injuries are around the groin though, yeah. so what are the main I don't know. issues? I think it's like, um, I think they actually, like they are pretty strong in those positions because it's isometric all the time. Mm. Like they're just sitting like that. Mm. Mm. I would say like they have weird like, sh- like the things that I see like shoulder and back. Okay, so shoulder and back like, hmm. And I'd, I would say that's more from like the swinging and stuff. But it might be different at. Do like, you think all the injuries? Do you think majority, if not all, the injuries are like contact prone rather yeah, I than? I think some. I think a fair few of them are. Yeah. Okay. Because I think contact injuries. And I are, guess it depends on the position as well. Yeah. So I think it's important when trying to decide on an injury prevention program or mitigation program would be is to not only understand what the injury is, but understand exactly the situation that the injury tends to take place in and then understand the mechanism that is taking place during that situation. So let's say, um, what's a good one? What's a good one for hockey? Let's say it's let's say it's rotator cuff during a swing. Yeah. Let's say it's rotator cuff during a swing. Um, what is the mechanism there? Okay. What's the action? They're swinging. Okay. Their bottom hand is coming through, and they're going to tend to tear um, a rotator in their bottom hand, right, as they swing through. So. And we're not saying that this is a common one. We're just like. I'm trying to come yeah, up with an example. We're not knowing much about ice hockey. Yeah. Um, the swing comes through. Okay, and then let's say they get some sort of rotator cuff tear there. What is happening that, what's happening at the joint that's causing that tear? Well, we can probably say that during that at end range, there's stretched internal rotators. Okay, there's stretched internal rotators and they're, sorry, no, um, stretched external rotators as we're coming further into internal rotation towards the end range. So... Do we need to, is it an inability for the external rotators to slow down that internal rotation happening at the shoulder as they follow through their swing? Um, So do we need to then strengthen eccentrically the end range of external rotators to stop them tearing their shoulder out, which is what happens in baseball. So a baseballer throws and then what happens is the arm wants to keep going out of the socket and the external rotators are required to forcefully contract eccentrically as the arm is traveling out of the socket to stop it from traveling out. And that's what blowing the shoulder out is. It's the external rotators tearing because of their inability to stop the humerus from traveling further forward out of the glenohumeral joint. Mm. And then further to that is, is the reason that you're like, you don't have that, control over that area Mm. is that just in a capacity is that a capacity issue or is it because of something else further down or up the chain Mm. you know like let's say you go like a sport that you know well baseball because you used to play it Mm. um now you play that what's that other ball sport that you play that's not that good cricket i'm going back to um baseball this season oh cool Mm. i think baseball is a lot cooler of a sport just because it's shorter yeah that's yeah. the main thing. <laughs> um, yeah, that's could that can definitely be part of it, um, but that's an assessment thing that needs yeah. to take place, I guess. And that and that's that's our, that's kind of like part of our job mm. in coaching athletes is to to see the see where movement breakdown break breakdown is. It's funny that like I think because the research is so far behind on movement chains yeah um you'll find it very hard to find a paper that talks anything about that like it's always going to be a very acute yes so yeah, at, yeah. at the site of injury that's why like with hamstring like no one's looking at hamstring and going okay well maybe we need to move it further up the train towards ql because maybe something's happening there because the research behind 
chain kinematics is very... Well, it's so, so, so hard to quantify because everyone's so individual. Mm. Like, it's different if we were all robots built I guess what I'm saying is way. that, like, what we take as a chain yeah. is still not yet... Uh, Held by the... Hierarchy. Uh, the hierarchy of, of experts. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of experts still think that's... Hokey pokey. Hokey pokey, yeah. And to be honest, like, there's no... Like, I've seen it anecdotally that it's definitely to me seems like it exists and it's yeah. a thing there and it can be assessed. But um, I think you're going to really, really struggle to get any sort of research backing behind it until we find a way to quantify those things. Yeah, I agree. I completely yeah. agree. But it's just like, you know, like before you were talking about hamstrings, I was like, oh, what about stride length? Of stride? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah, we're taking technique out of it. But the truth is, in reality, in the gym, we can't take technique mm. out of it because well, we see... We see those patterns. Yeah. We wouldn't work on technique in lifting mm. if it didn't have a carryover to performance, Results. injury prevention, and yeah. all the rest. But of running it. mechanics is something that is definitely looked at in literature yeah, yeah. and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, no, like, just for the sake of that argument, that discussion. But like you know, what what is what about the minute running mechanics? What about let's say as they as they stride? Mm. You know, are they having like some sort of translation through the pelvis? Mm. Um, what amount of translation is okay? Mm. There's so much more that we can look at. Mm. Then you can look at, you know, like when they're running, like what is their thorax doing? Are they rotate? Like are they counter rotating properly? Are they mm. not counter rotating properly? Then are they rotating at all? Are they rotating at all? What's mm. their neck doing? Like there's there's so many things that you can take into account that in research potentially you'd be like, you know what, like it's too complicated. Because mm. then if you go even more minutely, like like what's happening at the higher end of their, you know, like where their shoulders are to their thorax, the middle of their thorax, then lower mm. down. Like there could be so much crap going on mm. there too. I think next week we need to talk about rings. No, I'm, I don't know anymore. And how bullshit they are. You've talked to Kush about And how them. they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to leave it there. Yeah. Don't you have to go to work? Yeah. Alrighty, guys, thanks for listening to episode 25 Five. of... Uh, we're a quarter of the way to 100. Wow, I can't mm. believe how quick it's gone. Mm. Episode 25 of the Uneducated Opinions. Uh, this episode was an overly uneducated opinion, so don't take anything we say as gospel, especially when it comes to um, training. And This episode was brought to you by... Uh, what's that company that makes diamonds? Diamonds? Yeah. Who makes diamonds? Is it De Beers? No. What is it? Damn it. I had a good joke for it. <laughs> I don't even remember what they're called. Uh, that's funny. Um, this episode is brought to you by no one because we don't have sponsors because we're poor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you can follow Andy at, at Train With Andy. You can follow so Steve <laughs> at Steve Norman 250 You can follow the Uneducated Opinions at Uneducated Opinions. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook. Uh, check out the YouTube, especially if you want to check out some of those funnier videos that we put up today um, for our technique critique. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you hit that little notifications bell. And if you guys have any videos for us to critique, um, please send them in, whether if they're your own videos, maybe they're a video of someone else or a video that you found that you found funny, we can have a look at that as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be yeah, I mean, hopefully yeah. they're videos of yourself. And they, we just want to judge the technique. It doesn't have to be like specific to lifting or mm. running or whatever. Um, also, if you have a topic for us to talk about. Yeah, topics would be good because I feel like we went on a good rant today. Yeah. Alrighty, guys. See ya. See ya.